hello and welcome back to our Catacomb Synod Basics where we are starting by going through the Augsburg Confession and discussing the context in which it was written and the circumstances we are in today and how the Augsburg Confession still applies. That said, we only have a couple or a few more installments regarding the Augsburg Confession we will be moving on to different topics and resources after that that help give us a wider picture. We're not staying in just the confessions for those who maybe don't agree with all the tenets of Lutheranism. There's more to learn here. But we are going to be starting in the Augsburg Confession's 18th article today on freedom of the will. This is an important and forgotten article. It says... It is also taught among us that man possesses some measure of freedom of the will which enables him to live an outwardly honorable life and to make choices among the things that reason comprehends. But without the grace, help, and activity of the Holy Spirit, man is not capable of making himself acceptable to God, of fearing God and believing in God with his whole heart, or of expelling inborn evil lust from his heart. This is accomplished by the Holy Spirit, who is given through the word of God. For St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, Natural man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God. In order that it may be evident that this teaching is no novelty, the clear words of Augustine on free will are here quoted from the third book of his Hypognosticon. Quote, We concede that all men have a free will, for all have a natural, innate understanding and reason. However, this does not enable them to act in matters pertaining to God, such as loving God with their whole heart or fearing him. For it is only in the outward acts of this life that they have freedom to choose good or evil. By good I mean what they are capable of by nature, whether or not to labor in the fields, whether or not to eat or drink or visit a friend, whether to dress or undress, whether to build a house, take a wife, engage in a trade, or do whatever else may be good and profitable. None of these is or exists without God but all things are from him and through him. On the other hand, by his own choice, man can also undertake evil as when he wills to kneel before an idol, commit murder, etc. Our churches condemn the Pelagians and others who teach that without the Holy Spirit, by the power of nature alone, we are able to love God above all things, and can also keep the commandments of God insofar as the substance of the acts is concerned. Although nature is able in some measure to perform the outward works, for it can keep the hands from theft and murder, yet it cannot produce the inward affections such as fear of God, trust in God, patience, etc. Do Lutherans believe in free will? The answer should be yes. Yes, we do. This is what the confessions teach. We have free will. What do we mean by free will? You are free to do that which is in accordance with your nature. Somebody who is unregenerate is only going to be able to choose bad things. Whatever is not done by faith is sin. 
However, this is Coram Deo, facing God. We all know that person out there, that unbeliever who is a decent guy overall, but he's not a believer. Before God, whatever he does is sin, but we aren't called to rebuke him when he works at the soup kitchen or gives to charity or whatever. He has that free will to make these decisions, but they are as rags before God. However, when we receive our new nature in Christ, when we are the new man and regenerate in our baptism, well then we can make free decisions which please God. Weakly at first, as the formula of Concord states, but we begin to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and we can do real good works. What trips people up is that Lutherans are also monergists. We believe that God is the only actor in salvation. So we have free will, but not to save ourselves. God doesn't put your pants on in the morning. He does not wipe your butt. He does not brush your hair. When you decide to click the turn signal in your car, God is not forcing you to do that. You have free will in accordance with your nature. However, these days Lutherans have been denying that thanks to the influence of radical Lutheranism and the soft antinomianism that it peddles. In the large catechism controversy that happened recently, there was a statement that transgender people and homosexuals are born the way they are and therefore can make absolutely zero decisions to change this aspect of themselves even if they are born again. The antinomians in our midst have said that you cannot make any changes whatsoever. You cannot live an outwardly righteous life. Everything you do is so tainted and tarnished by sin that it's not even worth it to pursue what Article 18 of the Augsburg Confession calls civil or civic righteousness, one of the two kinds of righteousness. It's not worth it. Don't do it. You can't. You have no free will whatsoever. You should not be making any decisions on your own. After all, all you would decide is sin. So show up to church, receive the sacraments, have faith, and then live however you feel like living after that. These individuals, these theologians, the radical Lutherans, believe that the Christian religion consists of literally nothing but faith. They stop at sola fide, they stop at justification, and they never move on to sanctification. They never move on to the Christian life. Maybe some of them pay lip service to it by having some sort of ex opere operato belief that, well, the more you take the sacraments and the more you are granted faith, by absolution in the preaching of law and gospel, well, maybe your life will just kind of naturally gravitate towards doing good works. Is that what the Bible teaches? How are we to use our newly freed will? Well, Christ says in Matthew 5:16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christians are to pursue civic righteousness as a matter of evangelism, as well as the good in itself of doing these good deeds. 
We here at the Catacomb Synod believe in living the active Christian life. We reject the feeding tube Lutheranism that characterizes Christian life as nothing but laying down, taking the sacraments, and just floating until you die. No, Christ wants us to use our will to do good things. And this means a preaching of the third use of the law. Now, there are some who are going to say that in context, the Lutheran reformers were battling against the Neo-Pelagianism of Rome. This is absolutely correct. But in the 21st century, we are battling a rejection of free will, and this article applies just as much. Of course we condemn and reject this notion that you can earn merit before God using your free actions. But at the same time, we are now in the 21st century called to condemn and reject this notion that the individual Christian is hopeless in matters of sanctification and should not worry nor be motivated to do the right thing. We reject Lutheranism that tells you to just lay down and die. Especially on account of Article 19, which states, It is taught among us that although Almighty God has created and still preserves nature, yet sin is caused in all wicked men and despisers of God by the perverted will. This is the will of the devil and all ungodly men. As soon as God withdraws his support, the will turns away from God to evil. It is as Christ says in John 8 verse 44, when the devil lies, he speaks according to his own nature. Salvation is monergistic. Damnation is synergistic. The Christian in his walk with God is called to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in sanctification. If he does not, if he is not willingly going along with this, if he resists the Holy Spirit and causes him to flee because he thinks that the Christian life consists of nothing but going to church on Sunday, receiving the sacraments, and then doing whatever he wants the other six days of the week, what is that going to result in? Well, it's cooperation with the devil. God is going to withdraw his support, and the Christian is going to find himself singing the same tunes as the world, doing everything the world wants him to do. He will act wickedly. If we do not live the active Christian life, we put ourselves at grave danger to pull ourselves apart from God. This is not me denying that God preserves us. We still hold to the preservation of the saints by word and sacrament. But Christians everywhere are being invited to go experience demonic oppression and obsession on account of the soft antinomianism that these quote-unquote Lutherans are peddling. Now, we also must note here that we believe demonic activity is going to be increasing as our secular world goes away from Christian culture, from what used to be called cultural Christianity. The devil hates the name of Jesus and flees from the preaching of his word, and where that was everywhere, he wasn't able to do as much in Western countries. But now, our culture is... Well, it's going to hell in a handbasket, isn't it? 
and the devil is going to be doing more. Thus, the active Christian life is all the more necessary for us to be engaged in as a means of doing battle and standing up to the devil. The Christian cannot be possessed. His will, his nature, is changed by the Holy Spirit, but he can be oppressed. He can be obsessed. Demons will absolutely harass Christians, and we need to be ready for that first relying on God and doing what he tells us to do, standing firm in his word and following it. Feeding tube Lutheranism and all of its coma ethics is not going to do that. To the contrary, it leaves them defenseless. Seriously, we should be ashamed of ourselves if somebody comes up to us and says, Pastor, I, I need your help. Uh, the lights have been going out by themselves and flickering, and I changed the bulbs and that doesn't change. I got my electricity in my house checked out and nothing's different. I've been having these nightmares and sleep paralysis. Uh, it's telling me to sin and my porn habit has been getting worse. I, I feel like I'm not in control. And if my response is, well, that's nice, dear, but go to church. Just receive the sacraments. It'll be all, it'll be okay. If that's my response, instead of actually helping this person and guiding them, helping them put on the full armor of the faith, I'm a shameful failure. And unfortunately right now, Lutheranism is full of shameful failures masquerading as pastors. But they will inevitably respond to me by saying, oh, you are just preaching law, gospel, law. Ha ha ha, don't you know that this third use of the law business is wickedness and Phariseeism? Oh yes, they call us pietists, but that is exactly what we are and we own that. We are pietists per the 20th article of the Augsburg Confession, which states, our teachers have been falsely accused of forbidding good works. Their writings on the Ten Commandments and other writings as well show that they have given good and profitable accounts and instructions concerning true Christian estates and works. About these, little was taught in former times, when for the most part sermons were concerned with childish and useless works like rosaries, the cult of saints, monasticism, pilgrimages, appointed fasts, holy days, brotherhoods, etc. Our opponents no longer praise these useless works so highly as they once did, and they have also learned to speak now of faith, about which they did not preach at all in former times. They do not teach now that we become righteous before God by our works alone, but they add faith in Christ and say that faith and works make us righteous before God. This teaching may offer a little more comfort than the teaching that we are to rely solely on our works. Since the teaching about faith, which is the chief article in the Christian life, has been neglected so long, as all must admit, while nothing but works was preached everywhere, our people have been instructed as follows. We begin by teaching that our works cannot reconcile us with God or obtain grace for us, for this happens only through faith, that is, when we believe that our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, who alone is the mediator who reconciles the Father. Whoever imagines that he can accomplish this by works, or that he can merit grace, despises Christ and seeks his own way to God, contrary to the gospel. 
This teaching about faith is plainly and clearly treated by Paul in many passages, especially in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast, etc. That no new interpretation is here introduced can be demonstrated from Augustine, who discusses this question thoroughly and teaches the same thing. Namely, that we obtain grace and are justified before God through faith in Christ and not through works. His whole book, De Spiritu et Litera, proves this. Although this teaching is held in great contempt among untried people, yet it is a matter of experience that weak and terrified consciences find it most comforting and salutary. The conscience cannot come to rest and peace through works but only through faith, that is, when it is assured and knows that for Christ's sake it has a gracious God. As Paul says in Romans 5 verse 1, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. In former times this comfort was not heard in preaching, but poor consciences were driven to rely on their own efforts and all sorts of works were undertaken. Some were driven by their conscience into monasteries in the hope that there they might merit grace through monastic life. Others devised other works for the purpose of earning grace and making satisfaction for sins. Many of them discovered that they did not obtain peace by such means. It was therefore necessary to preach this doctrine about faith in Christ and diligently to apply it in order that men may know that the grace of God is appropriated without merits through faith alone. Instruction is also given among us to show that the faith here spoken of is not that possessed by the devil and the ungodly, who also believe the history of Christ's suffering and his resurrection from the dead. But we mean such true faith as believes that we receive grace and forgiveness of sin through Christ. Whoever knows that in Christ he has a gracious God truly knows God calls upon him, and is not, like the heathen, without God. For the devil and the ungodly do not believe this article concerning the forgiveness of sin, and so they are at enmity with God, cannot call upon him, and have no hope of receiving good from him. Therefore, as has just been indicated, the scriptures speak of faith, but do not mean by it such knowledge as the devil and ungodly men possess. Hebrews 11 verse 1 teaches about faith in such a way as to make it clear that faith is not merely a knowledge of historical events, but it is a confidence in God and in the fulfillment of his promises. Augustine also reminds us that we should understand the word faith in the scriptures to mean confidence in God, assurance that God is gracious to us, and not merely such a knowledge of historical events as the devil also possesses. It is also taught among us that good works should and must be done. Not that we are to rely on them to earn grace, but that we may do God's will and glorify him. It is always faith alone that apprehends grace and forgiveness of sin. When through faith the Holy Spirit is given, the heart is moved to do good works. Before that, when it is without the Holy Spirit, the heart is too weak. Moreover, it is in the power of the devil who drives poor human beings into many sins. We see this in the philosophers who undertook to lead honorable and blameless lives. They failed to accomplish this and instead fell into many great and open sins. 
This is what happens when a man is without true faith in the Holy Spirit and governs himself by his own human strength alone. Consequently, this teaching concerning faith is not to be accused of forbidding good works, but is rather to be praised for teaching that good works are to be done and for offering help as to how they may be done. For without faith and without Christ, human nature and human strength are much too weak to do good works, call upon God, have patience in suffering, love one's neighbor, diligently engage in callings which are commanded, render obedience, avoid evil lusts, etc. Such great and genuine works cannot be done without the help of Christ, as he himself says in John 15 verse 5, Apart from me you can do nothing. This article is completely ignored right now in the Lutheran Church. When they say there is an accusation that Lutherans are going around forbidding good works, that accusation is now true. There are countless Lutheran pastors out there now who are forbidding good works. And they'll say, oh, I never forbid good works. I never tell people to not do the right thing. Correct except they never, ever, ever preach the third use of the law. They never give guidance as to what we are to do by Holy Scripture. And they tell people works can't save them, stop thinking about good works, stop trying to do good works, etc. and so forth. They condemn, quote-unquote, law, gospel, law, preaching. And they say this to their detriment, because now the Roman Catholic Church can look at these Lutherans and say, yeah, that Article 20 in your Augsburg Confession was a stinking lie. Look at you. Worse than that, the Lutheran churches have fallen into the same sin as the Roman Catholic Church of calling that sin, which is not, being jugglers of imaginary sins. What law are so many of these pastors preaching when they preach law and gospel? Oh, they are preaching against bigotry. They are preaching against sexism. They are preaching in such a way that you must repent of having naughty opinions that the law doesn't like, or having this phobia or that ism, blah, 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 as though you have no freedom in Christ to form opinions and to recognize patterns. Things that the Bible says are not sin, they will call sin and condemn people. And then these churches will have the gall to deny sola fide by telling people they are excommunicated until they repent of this imaginary sin. You are going to hell unless you do the work of violating your heartfelt beliefs in returning to us. Now, the Bible doesn't say any of that regarding what we are condemning you for, but you know what? Your faith in Jesus just doesn't count. It doesn't, because these things we made up in accordance with our traditions and the traditions of the world are now binding upon you. Please do the works we made up in order to merit salvation once more. All because they do not want to preach the third use of the law and help their congregations in the process of sanctification. They will say that that is yucky pietism. It is just so bad. Well, we own it. We own pietism now. We are pietists. We want to be Lutherans that mean it. We want to do good works. We are zealous for good works. We praise God for saving our souls and giving us the opportunity to live a sanctified life 
pleasing to him. He has set us free from the shackles of original sin. And he has said, now you can be a Christian. And you can live like a Christian. You can please our Heavenly Father on account of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Pietist recognizes that we are not to trust in our works. However, we should be rejoicing in them. We should feel the privilege to do things that please God. We should feel that necessity and rejoice that we get to do it. And these do, according to every scriptural passage about heavenly rewards, rewards in this life, the blessings and favor that God passes down to us, those are extra, those are rewards for good works that we don't deserve. We understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior, but our Lord transforms us and says, Now your will is freed. You have a new nature. Go do good things. And while I certainly don't deserve salvation, I also don't deserve rewards from God for following his commands. Yet he does this because he is the gracious God in whom I place my faith. Taking an active role in one's sanctification and devotions to God, our piety is the essence of pietism. And it is something that the scripture calls us to as a good thing. We are not slaves to the law, but we are willing servants of our Lord. That is the third use of the law that is confessional. And if the Lutheran confessions call us to something that today is derided as pietism, then we here in the Catacomb Synod embrace the term for ourselves. We are Lutherans, we are confessional, and we are pietists. And glory be to God for it. Now that said, we are confessional pietists. We understand how Lutheranism got where it is today, never moving beyond sola fide, never moving beyond our basic soteriology, in part because when sola fide was rediscovered by the Lutheran reformers, it was almost immediate that the rest of Christendom, so-called, rebelled against it and condemned it, even those who claimed to believe it. The Roman Catholic Church decided to have a nice little council, Trent, where they flipped the bird at anything appearing to be Protestantism and said that if you believed anything like sola fide, you were going to hell. The Calvinists claimed, oh yeah, it's sola fide, but by the way, since the center of our soteriology is election, the only way to know whether you're saved or not is by doing a whole bunch of works. That is how they try to get around issues of assurance when you don't know if you're elect or not. Meanwhile, the radical reformers, they had things like, well, the Baptist conception of faith as a work. Oh, sure, you're justified by faith alone, but you've got to work really hard at having the right faith and believing enough. There are independent fundamentalist Baptists these days who hold to, well, devil faith, as St. James calls it, where it really is just to believe in Jesus and you're saved, period. Just say that he saved you. Uh, know that in your head and however you live. I mean, repentance, that's a heresy. I get it. For the past 500 years, 
it seems that so many denominations are rebelling against the Lutheran conception, that is, the biblical conception of sola fide. Lord knows there were well-meaning but errant pietists who were not confessional Lutherans, who were not following what scripture teaches and what the confessions interpret for us. So they began teaching nothing but the law, and they forgot that we are justified by faith alone. We here in the Catacomb Synod will not make the same mistake as them. So it is understandable that Lutheran churches everywhere obsess over sola fide as the one doctrine. But that's no excuse, and that is no reason to act as though that is the only doctrine. If anybody here is familiar with Gerhard Ferde, he was so obsessed with sola fide that he denied that Jesus died for our sins. He denied that Christ did anything for us other than die and rise again to demonstrate the power of faith for resurrection. Such was the heresy that came from having this kind of tunnel vision. But so long as Ephesians 2 verse 10 says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, we here at the Catacomb Synod are going to say, I'm a pietist, and I glorify God knowing that he has saved me and given me this opportunity to live for him. Next week, I believe we will be finishing up the Augsburg Confession and moving along to a more pietistically oriented document, the Pia Desideria by Dr. Spanner. And that is going to be a very, very interesting one. It might necessitate an audiobook while we're at it. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.